Welcome to the Professional Services Pursuit Podcast. My name is Matt Finch and we have a very special interview recorded for this week's show. As you all know by now, we announced the Mavenlink and Kimball merger on Wednesday and we wanted to give the new CEO, Michael Speranza, a platform to address the industry about his new role. John Ragsdale, Distinguished Researcher and Vice President of Technology Ecosystems at TSIA, who's been on the show before, sat down with Michael to do just that. I hope you enjoy the show. Well, hi, everyone. I'm John Ragsdale, and my role at TSIA is to build an ecosystem of technology providers that solve the biggest business challenges of our members. And we have a big focus on professional services automation, or PSA, and services automation in general. And I'm very excited to be the guest host for this special episode of the Professional Services Pursuit. And I'm even more excited to introduce my guest, Michael Speranza, who is the newly named CEO of the company formed by the Mavenlink and Kimball merger. Michael, I know it's got to be crazy times for you right Mm -hmm. now. This is what, day three or four? Yes, yes. Day four of a new journey. Oh my gosh. So how are you? How are things going? Uh, Yeah, I'm uh, sleepless right now, incredibly tired, but also incredibly excited (laughs) about the future and really thankful that you took the time to talk to us today. Oh, my pleasure. It's fun to be here. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and the career path that led you to Maven, Lincoln, Kimball. Sure. So I started my career as an engineer. Um, My first job was actually working for NASA at the Jet Propulsion Lab in California, and then quickly transitioned to uh, an environment in management consulting, working at Deloitte, um, worked at a startup doing data warehousing in the hospitality industry, and then really began my journey uh, in mid-cap private equity-backed software companies about 20 years ago. Um, so for the last 20 years, I've been um, leading and growing mid-market software firms, uh, almost exclusively backed by private equity firms, uh, and really found my way into this opportunity uh, when I was out exploring, looking for new things, came across a, a great firm with Excel KKR that had just re-upped and increased their investment in Kimball, which is a company they're incredibly excited about, learned that they were contemplating a merger. Uh, and com- and combining it with the Mavenlink company, and just thought that that was just an incredible opportunity that fit uh, incredibly well with my background, growing and scaling B two B software companies from uh, typically a range of about a hundred million dollars in revenue up towards a billion, and really helping them through that journey uh, of growth that that those types of companies face challenges in. Well, uh, I'm familiar with you from your last two roles and in your most recent CEO role, you know, you were an expert over CRM, customer experience, e-commerce, finance. All of these are data sources and integration points for PSA. So I would think that would give you an interesting perspective on this market. Yeah. So one of the things that really excited me about this opportunity was that I had operated companies in the past where I not only felt the pain um, that these products are solving in terms of running large services organizations, um, either as a consultant or running them as part of large IT software firms. And for me, the product itself was something that was I was super passionate about and had a connection to, um, and that it provides quantifiable value to the customer. So um, for me, that was really one of the most exciting things about the opportunity, knowing that I had kind of firsthand experience, not just from the companies that I've operated, um, but the products that I was selling, as you pointed out in my last experience. So just for fun, we've all read your LinkedIn profile, but would you tell us something about yourself that most people don't know? Sure. So I think um, 
a little fun fact is probably really from early on in my career when I worked at um, NASA and the Jet Propulsion Lab was I had uh, really the fortunate opportunity to work on one of the first successful missions to Mars, um, which actually put oh, the first wow. rover on Mars uh, way back in the late 90s. So that was probably the, you know, the most interesting fun fact about me in terms of my career. Well, maybe you can get on one of these Tesla rocket rides <laughs> coming up. I'm on the list, John. I'm on the list. Right. <laughs> so I'm going to put my technology analyst hat on. And anytime there is a, a merger of competitors, there's a lot of questions and concerns and FUD from your competitors uh, about products and the roadmaps. So uh, I don't know how much you can say, but could you just kind of speak to what does the Maven-Link-Kimball merger mean for ongoing and future product development plans for the two platforms? Yeah, so we are fortunate to have two market-leading products coming together. Um, and I can address this topic head-on for you and be completely transparent with you. We are 100% committed to both products. Our competitors will try and spin this as an issue. Um, and I look at it as quite the opposite. I think this is a major, major competitive advantage for us as a firm uh, and in this space and something that, quite frankly, if I were them, I'd be afraid of. You know, We've got these two market-leading products that address the broadest set of customer requirements really of any provider in the space. Uh, we can scale across the entire spectrum of requirements. We can bring the best of both solutions to bear to address a specific need that a particular customer segment may have. And we have solutions that span the broadest set of technology stacks that exist within the customers. So things that were built on the force.com stack, uh, as well as products that where customers are using a hybrid stack of technology. So for me, this is absolutely a competitive advantage. It's something that we are completely committed to and proud of, and we plan to invest in both products going forward. And we feel that this is going to allow us to really accelerate the adoption of these types of solutions in the PSA space. And that the combination of these two companies creates something that really just has not existed in the space. And we're just incredibly excited about it. And uh, again, I think our competitors will try and spin this the opposite way, and I'm going to take the opportunity to kind of rotate in the other direction and and be proud of it. I think we're going to uh, absolutely be able to provide more value to customers because of it. Well, that, that's great. And yes, I am already hearing the, the FUD from competitors, uh, end-of-lifing platforms and forcing migration. So um, it, it's great for you to set the record straight there. So you kind of touched on this, but I'd like to dig into it just a little bit more. The, the PSA space has become quite a crowded market over the last couple of years. Um, Mavenlink and Kimball were both well-known brands with good market share. But if you look at the larger market and a lot of new entrants coming into the space, how do you see this merger creating a competitive advantage for the combined company? Yeah, so it's it's very rare that combinations and mergers are this complementary. So if you look at these two companies coming together, and um, these are some things that folks may not know on the outside, they just might know the outward brands uh, of each organization. But as you dive into the details and really look at how these organizations come together, it really is a major overnight advantage. We've got increased breadth, we've got increased reach and scale. We have double the product portfolio in terms of the capabilities that we can address. 
the traditional markets that each company served are very complementary. You know, Kimball has its roots primarily in the international markets with a strong presence in uh, the UK and the continental Europe. Mavenlink has its roots based in the United States with a strong presence there. And for for me, looking at the way these two companies come together, um, it really creates a tremendous day one advantage where there isn't really a tremendous amount that we need to do to feather these organizations together. And now really where it translates to the opportunity is that we are now um, a now more demonstrable leader in the space. We've got that biggest product portfolio that I mentioned, and we now have the breadth and scale and the capability and the resources to actually solve some of the challenges that the customers are facing and that a provider in this space, like what we've just created, did not previously exist. Uh, we are 100% focused on this space. Uh, we know that there's real pain from the customers. Uh, they continue to tell us that. We know that they're interested in solving the pain. right? And all you have to do is look at the growth trajectory of both Kimball and Mavenlink before the merger. Both companies were growing at north of 25% per year. And in some cases, even close to 40% per year um, prior to the pandemic. So customers are voting with their wallet to solve these challenges. And now you take the combination uh, and look, really look at what we've created. The industry has lacked a provider with the scale, the breadth, and the focus to solve it. And our organization is now well positioned to tackle that. So that's really how I see some of this evolving and how we can take what has been a you know a relatively slow migration or adoption in the PSA space over the last five or 10 years and really start to accelerate it because we've solved for some of those issues. And we can bring these solutions to bear now with customers on a global basis. We can solve a broader set of portfolio of challenges. And then we can honestly help educate them a little bit with the best practice on how um, firms should be really solving and adjudicating and mitigating the pain that they're feeling on these organizations. Yeah, definitely uh, a lot of pain. And I think some new pain uh, every year. There are a few new wrinkles. Um, I I agree with you. There's a lot of growth opportunity. Our uh, data shows that even though adoption of PSA by B2B tech firms has grown quite a bit, there's still a lot of planned spending. So I wanted to dig into a couple of trends that I'm tracking that I think may be driving some of this and and get your reaction, or you you can tell me I'm crazy. Um, One is really the role of professional services in enabling customer success. And customer success is probably the hottest topic in, in services right now, especially for cloud companies and subscription technology companies. And obviously, if the implementation isn't done right, you're not setting the customer up to adopt the technology, get the the expected outcomes from the technology as quickly as possible. So our data is showing that when we survey C-level execs and professional services execs, they now all place adoption and customer value as the number one charter of professional services, when a few years back, they would have said margin or, or revenue. So do you think this more visible and I would say even strategic role of professional services is sort of forcing them to maybe more formalize their processes and invest in enabling technology? Yeah. So I, uh, yeah, I completely subscribe to that, John. I think that's a great point. And, you know, I can just tell you my own firsthand experience of how uh, when I tried to run professional services organizations and really 
shift the focus from a margin-led conversation to a conversation that was really about creating positive customer experiences. You know, when you look at the way these organizations are running now, you know, the, the industry has moved almost to completely SaaS. The focus on being able to retain and grow those customers really is the paramount financial driver of the organization. The success of the implementation uh, not only goes to create that positive sentiment with the customer, it also goes to, goes to create a successful implementation of the product and customer value. And to me, those are the leading indicators of running great projects that have a positive customer sentiment on the end of that. And I think that is the the paramount metric that we should try and focus on. I'd encourage our customers to focus on. That's going to lead to better net retention. And that if you do that, our solution is the one that can come in and help you solve for all those secondary things around utilization, margin attainment, all those financial parameters, which um, if you look at the, the way a traditional PS manager would focus, their immediate reaction to try and solve uh, uh, a utilization problem is to try and reduce non-billable hours. When you go and try and reduce non-billable hours, the first thing you do is probably enrage your customers by trying to charge them for things <laughs> that they're not expecting. And uh, for me, I think this is just a tremendous, tremendous opportunity where our product can come in and really not automate, but really facilitate the line managers, the folks running these organizations, relinquishing cycles to solve those financial and metric-oriented issues and allowing them to focus on how to deliver great customer experiences. Yeah, I, I agree completely. Another area that I think there's some growth opportunity, uh, when I interview PSA users, I typically find that they buy the product to solve one particular problem. It could be forecasting or resource management or billing. And I rarely find that they're leveraging the whole platform. Now, I think that that means ultimately they need to start consuming more of your product. But I also know a lot of companies bought a product that may not meet their needs. And that's why you know, we're seeing people continually shopping, even if they have a solution in place. So have you had any experience with that or heard that maybe they're not leveraging as much of the platform as they could? Um, yeah, I've definitely um, seen that. You know, it's day four uh, of me in this organization. <laughs> so, um, you know, the things that I've learned so far about how folks are using the solutions from both companies is there are customers that have kind of that rigor of, ch of change management that can really um, look and span across all the different constituents that touch this type of workflow. And we have a lot of customers that are in that space and are really deriving tremendous value because they've made the investment, they've invested in change management and made the requisite business process changes to use the solution and they're seeing the value. And there's also customers that are saying, you know, wow, I have this this burning issue, but my organization is not ready um, to perhaps adopt the completeness of it. And our products also have the on-ramps that allow them to adopt a point product solution. However, we have the vision to offer them kind of that day two customer journey where as they progress, they can they can continue to expand the use of the product and take it further within their organization. And to me, it's offering that type of flexibility where it's not an all or none solution. Uh, we're creating those on-ramps for folks to have rapid time to value to solve a solution like resource management, but that our portfolio, the vision for our company goes well beyond just delivering a point solution to do things like project management or time management or resource management. Um, those are all point product solutions that are going to lead nowhere and really struggle to deliver the complete value to the customer. Yeah. 
ultimately to the customer, I agree. So one final uh, thing, and I, I apologize in advance because this is my favorite topic, um, but one of the, the shifts that we are seeing is away from the pay-as-you-go custom implementation projects to fixed price repeatable projects, which now represent 53% of all professional services projects. And one module that I find a lot of PSA users don't use is the project management module. You know, they're still using spreadsheets or, yep. or something for that. So, you know, it seems there's a, a great opportunity here to really be investing more into building these detailed project plans and even incorporating best practices and lessons learned to help the next person doing a similar project. Uh, what are your, your, your thoughts on that? I think I completely agree with you based on what I've learned so far. The project management piece of our solutions is the, the one that really customers derive the most value from. If they successfully implement it and use it, it is the, the element that creates kind of that, that flywheel of value for them in terms of resources coming in, managing all the financials, understanding how dates move. And it requires really a commitment of that particular customer to leverage the capabilities that are in their product to compel that person outside of a spreadsheet or outside of another project management tool because the linkage of all of that data of who the people are, what their skills are, what their availability is, is invaluable and goes to create really the kind of that flywheel of value for the customer. Now, with all that said, I do think there's ways that we need to continually invest in the product from a UI perspective and UX to make that that a more seamless experience for all of the customers. It is one of probably the most data-heavy, data-intensive pieces of running a professional services organization. And for us, it's really trying to continue to invest in the UI and make sure that we're making that simple and easy for them. Uh, so that's a, a definite paramount focus of ours uh, when we look at the product. And we've got data that tells us that when customers are using that capability, that it goes to create a, a force multiplier value for them. So let's look ahead a little bit. Uh, I know it's just day four, but could I ask what some of your top priorities are just starting out? You know, what can all of us in the industry expect to hear about the strategy of the new company in the, the weeks to come? Yeah. So my priorities are really to, to integrate these companies as quickly and as efficiently as possible uh, and that we're acting as one organization as soon as we can. And my goal is to complete that before the end of the first quarter. Typically, these things uh, will take much longer, and I'm very confident just based on the complementary nature in all respects in terms of things like office location, staff, and customers that we're going to complete this within a quarter and that we're very quickly going to go out with a strong force on the product side and get close with the customers and really convince them that we've got the broadest set of capabilities that is right for them and that we've got the best long-term vision in terms of being able to address all of their long-term needs beyond just a point product solution and that we can create and tailor a journey that matches with their requirements, whether that be on the force.com stack, uh, a hybrid or a multi-product stack, we will have the best capabilities for them. So those are my near-term priorities. The, you know, The second is obviously really making sure that we establish a brand for this organization. That is a big part of you know, really galvanizing 
the staff, the people, our customers um, behind the brand. Uh, I don't know what that is yet, John. I know you're going to ask, but um, I, <laughs> I don't know what that is. But uh, we will have a unifying brand for the company. And to, to me, that's going to be part and parcel to making sure that we operate as one organization and that our sales teams are working together and our product teams are working together. Our engineering teams are working together to bring the best solution to the marketplace. And all of that work has already started. You know, on on day one, we, we you know our sales teams are already collaborating about um, how to put the best solution forward to to our customers that makes them as successful as possible. Yeah, I think that's the first question we all think of when you take two brands like Kimball and Mavenlink that are both so established and have such recognition, and figure out what will the 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 next phase B. So we all look forward uh, to, to hearing that. I'm sure the employees are too. Yes. Yes. It's an important element. It you know, goes to um, define the brand, the culture, the values of the organization. It's something that we're hopeful to reach a conclusion on um, within the next 30 or 45 days. Well, I know you've got a lot going on, so I don't want to take too much of your time. So let me just ask for any final thoughts, uh, anything I should have asked that I didn't. Uh, and what's the main thing you really want the industry to take away from this conversation? Mm-hmm. So, uh, and John, thank you for the uh, the time and the opportunity. I, the main thing for me, when I look at the the combination of these two companies and actually what it changes for um, customers in the industry is that we now have a organization of formidable scale, formidable resources, uh, geographic breadth and reach that has the capacity, the resources to actually develop and deliver on the original vision for the PSA space. Um, that is really, I think, what's changed. And you know, you can go into um, the specific bits and bytes of a particular product, but really, the force multiplier that's going to be created by combining these organizations to me is the most exciting piece of this journey. And for customers that are considering the evolution into this space, there's now a provider that's got the broadest set of products, the best vision from my perspective, and is set up for success. Uh, we've got the resources, the capacity, we've got the funding, we've got a great partner in Excel KKR, which was an original investor in Kimball and has doubled down on their investment in this space uh, with the acquisition and merger uh, with Mavenlink. And for me, those are all things that don't happen very often in the B2B technology space. So it really is uh, a positive, perfect storm of these things coming together. And for customers that were you know, sitting on the sidelines, hesitant to adopt or not knowing how to adopt. This is a, a new age in this space. And please reach out to us and we'll be reaching out to you to make sure that we can take you on the journey so that you can realize the value that uh, our now thousand plus customers are realizing today. Fantastic. Well, Michael Speranza, thank you so much for sitting down with me today and having this discussion. I wish you and the new combined company much luck. And thanks to all of you for listening. Uh, This is John Ragsdale. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day. If you enjoyed this podcast, let us know by giving the show a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform and leaving a comment. If you haven't already subscribed to the show, you can do so anywhere you get your podcast on any podcast app. And to learn more about the transformative power of Mavenlink, go to mavenlink.com. Thank you for listening.